0: Visit roberthalf.com dot com today
1: welcome to another off-season edition of Fantasy Football Today DFS. My name is CNJad, and I'm taking over this week for Frank Stample who, quite frankly, is neck deep in baseball. And as always, you can catch him on the Fantasy Baseball Today pod. But today, I am here with TJ Hernandez, the director of DFS for 4 for 4 football. You can catch him on Twitter at TJ Hernandez. TJ, thanks for joining us today.
0: Yeah, man, thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk a little uh, a little off-season DFS. This is my favorite part. I love the, the theory side of DFS.
1: And that's honestly, I feel like that's the side where you really – get your wins. And I think TJ Hernandez is really the guy, one of the the guys in this offseason series that we absolutely have to talk to. And if those of you that are listening, if you don't already follow TJ Hernandez at, again, TJ Hernandez, that's super easy. It's just his full name. Uh, Go ahead and give him a follow. He puts out a lot of really helpful content, especially in the DFS space. And we're going to touch on that a little bit. But TJ, I did want to ask you, obviously, you're pretty big in the NFL DFS space. But outside of that, uh, are you are you dabbling? Or are you fully immersed in some of these other DFS uh, sports? Uh,
0: not until this year. I mean, my kind of my my goal when I, I got into this was just to somehow make money watching football. So I've always been uh, very hyper concentrated on football. But this year, with uh, Formula One launching in, on DraftKings, um, I I kind of got into that. It's just it's. It's a new sport, and I was like, "This is perfect timing. It lines up perfectly with NFL offseason." Uh, so sort do of things like baseball and and golf, but everyone's already really good at those. So I was like, mm-hmm. "Let me try this new sport and see if uh, maybe I could figure something out here."
1: And it's interesting because I'm in South Florida, and just the other day, I was actually down. uh, I was watching one of the the tennis matches at the Miami Open, and I was walking on the track as I was going to my car. And I I literally was like, well, what's this? Like, I didn't even really see what I was walking on. And it is big time down here. I mean, this is a this is a big thing. And I'm I'm curious, TJ, when you get into a new sport or Mm -hmm. what some people might deem like a niche sport, I I feel like there's an obvious edge right off the bat. For sure have you found that with your i don't know how long you've been doing it but at least a few months i assume
0: yeah i I mean we're only four races in yesterday was only the fourth race race of the season and and like i said DraftKings just launched it this year so Mm -hmm. until four races ago no one had ever played formula one dfs so i i with any new sport there's going to be an edge just because one people just aren't going to know the sport very well i mean for those that have are new to formula one or, or haven't watched formula one the netflix series drive to survive has really got people into it mm-hmm. but I, I think the the edge obviously lies, obviously lies in doing your homework figuring out the sport figuring out the scoring system but i think just having a dfs background and being able to just apply generic showdown um, theory to a new game is going to give you an edge um in that sport and we're seeing already with Four races of data You can tell people Are just putting out Some really bad lineups And and there's lineup builds lineup constructions are always kind of going to dominate how you can be good at DFS sport and it's going to let you pretty quickly uh, be able to pinpoint who knows what they're doing and who doesn't so definitely seeing an early edge in it uh, and the prize pools are still relatively small which obviously if you're playing the sport you want them to be bigger but at the same time you're not attracting the sharks with those big, the big prize pools either so um, I, I think there's probably just a lot of people that are Formula One fans that want some action but aren't necessarily good DFS players.
1: Yeah, and I think you, you mentioned like people who are not good DFS players, bad lineups. The one thing we try to do on fantasy football today, DFS, and that, that's that's me and, and Frank and, and Mike McClure's, is, is try to sort of educate people. Obviously week to week what we got our plays and but sure. really last season in the in the preseason We were really talking about theory, and and that's really Mm. what I want to get into with you. But let me ask you, how long have you been doing this? And was there sort of a uh, seminal moment where, TJ, you discovered, hey, I'm pretty good at this. I should probably invest more time and perhaps money into this?
0: Uh, Well, it was a little bit by – by by force, uh, I was big into uh, poker in the online poker days, and I, I think mm-hmm. you have a little bit of a poker background yourself. I do. Uh, so so when when Black Friday hit, uh, I was I was left kind of scrambling, and I don't know if you're familiar with uh, one of the old training sites, Deuces Cracked. I was pretty heavily involved with with those guys, and and uh, a couple of guys from there got into DFS themselves. So I was like, let me try out th- this new thing. And and one of the one of the old deuces crack guys, he was working for. He was actually working on the operator side. There was a, um, there was a, sports betting website that was specifically horse racing, and they kind of started their own DFS product. So those horse race betting guys were basically their entire. That was feeding their entire um, DFS uh, offerings. So I jumped in there and. I was like, let, let me let me see what I could do in here. Long story short, basically ended up buying up all their lobbies. And obviously, back then, if you even knew what uh, a running back value was, you had an edge. So I was like, oh, I could make a couple, of, I could make a couple of bucks doing this. And and then uh, that that obviously that now is is it doesn't mean you're good. It's just I, I was in the the right spot at the right time. But from uh, from the content side of things, I I knew from poker from that explosion that. If DFS was going to get big, and obviously we were hoping sports betting, but we we didn't know how that was going to work, that content was going to come along with it. So I I was kind of lucky enough to have seen how that had grown with poker and and got out in front of that a little bit. And luckily it snowballed into some opportunities. There's no guarantee there, but uh, luckily had a little bit of foresight there on that one.
1: That's great. I, I was actually in on the front end as well, way before DraftKings and Fanduel, with a site yep. called Fantazzle.com. Oh wow! Yeah. I was. Do you, had you heard of that?
0: No, no, that's that. But uh, I, I was just like Draft Day and then um, Star Street days. Like mm-hmm. that's when I got into it.
1: Yeah, and and long story short, on that, I was just producing content for them, and then they kind of went away because back then. we we really weren't sure about the legalities of of daily fantasy sports and then it just for me i just kind of walked away from it i was i was doing my nine to five and then boom DraftKings comes down a few years later with FanDuel, and you know looking back it's like uh, maybe i should have done the tj route and just kind (laughs) of stuck with it but anyway here we are uh but let's focus on your let's focus back to nfl dfs Mm -hmm. um the first thing i want to know is what contests you play in because I think when I ask you your perspective when it comes to lineup construction and fading chalk and things of that nature, sure. I think it's it's important to know where your baseline is. What what type of games contests are you playing?
0: Yeah, that this is and this is kind of evolved going back to those early um, draft day start street days, kind of from my poker background cash game grinder I, I kind of took that same approach to DFS a lot of cash games a uh, ton of head-to-head that's kind of where I I uh, kind of grinded my teeth in DFS over the last couple of years we've seen it, it's just harder uh, to mm-hmm. cash games are harder everybody has um, a, a lineup generator a lineup optimizer the the most casual fan can find a pretty decent one NFL is the most popular sport even even the worst projections are pretty good. So if you plug those into an optimizer for FanDuel, DraftKings, um, you're, you're probably gonna be able to be at least competitive in cash games. Now I still do play a, a fair amount of cash games, but that was I was pretty much strictly playing those. I've kind of moved on to the uh, single entry three max higher stakes uh, lower field tournaments. And mm-hmm. obviously you're playing uh, a, a lot tough for competition, but for uh, how I like to play the game and how I think about the game. Mass multi-entry just isn't my thing Even though that's what I've been doing in formula one pretty much exclusively But from a, a football standpoint, uh, you can really get into The the macro of the game really g- like kind of like poker You're it's so much about what is your opponent doing when there's only a hundred Uh lineups in the field and you can only play one lineup uh, It goes so far beyond who's the best value this week So I've, over the last i'd say two or three years i've really shifted my attention to um it's a higher stakes, small contest, and 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 really focusing on DraftKings. That's another thing that's kind of evolved is not trying to play everything. I, I still you know, throw a couple lineups out everywhere, but really trying to hone in on, on that specific game.
1: Yeah, and I think that's a big miss for a lot of experienced players and a lot of new players. I think their assumption is, okay, I'm playing DraftKings now. I play this big contest, and I play this big contest. And yeah. their their discipline, if you will, is okay well I'll just do I'll just max out my contest so I'll just play the single yeah. entry that has you know 20,000 people in it or, sure. or 10,000 entries and they think they're being disciplined by, and, and by the way yeah. I'm I'm guilty of the same thing I I'm not you know you know I, it takes a while for you to, it's one thing to tell somebody hey this is how you should do it it's another thing for those people to internalize that advice and actually follow through on that advice yeah. so those smaller fields I I really do feel like even if there are some you know T.J. Hernandez's in in those contests. <laughs> yeah. I, I do think there is sort of not an edge, but but your probability, you, you know, percentage paid, you know, like it, it makes so much more sense to narrow the field, if you will.
0: Yeah, and I think that uh one thing that people really don't even take the time to think about it. You know, if 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 you're a football fan, you've played fantasy forever, and you just want some some more action, you're going to jump into DraftKings or FanDuel and I don't blame you if you go into the lobby the games that are highlighted are those biggest contests right it's a million dollar prize pool hundred thousand dollar prize pool for anywhere between 10 or 50 bucks for one and 50 bucks you're you're gonna go after those um, and I, I think the difference between just throwing if you're playing five or 10 bucks a week and, and that's your entertainment like by all means, you know, th- throw it at those contests. But if you're playing hundreds or even thousands of dollars a week and you, you want to be competitive, I don't think people even take the time to to set up goals for themselves or like what they want to do. So mm-hmm. if you don't even take the time to do that, how do you know what, what game you want to play? So that that's kind of, I think, where people should start but never do. It's like, what am I trying to get out of this?
1: Yeah, and, I, and for the person that's listening that's only got moderate experience with, yep. let's say, DraftKings, for example – how would you suggest because it's easy for you to say that and for people to be like yeah that sounds mm-hmm. good but when it comes to football season people are going to yeah. forget those words so sure if they're listening now yeah. what would you advise them like is there a practical way for them to manage their bankroll where maybe they're keeping some sort of rudimentary chart or, or some like is there some sort of advice where they can sit and be like all right that's what i'm going to do to start the season next
0: year yeah I, the the advice is go it's gonna be a little bit different if if you've dabbled a little bit versus if you've never played before um if you've dabbled a little bit, whatever game you find the most entertaining or or that you think you're the best at, like stick with that game, get really really good at that game, and then figure out a way to it's it's easy to say like minimize your your downside and maximize your upside that that doesn't always mean um you know, playing the smallest tournaments or or not going after after these big money tournaments, but uh understanding that these contests aren't apples to apples. You know, the the difference between um uh two contests that look exactly the same. One might be paying out twenty seven percent of the field, one might be paying out twenty percent of the field with uh and and then the money's gonna be broken up between first place, tenth place and, and the last cash uh all how those payment structures are are laid out is really going to impact what games you should be playing if you're a brand new player get in there a little bit like play play a dollar here a dollar there in these different types of contests and figure out which ones make the most sense to you which one kind of fits your way of thinking and then figure out how you want to uh allocate your money um but but I, i think you could definitely allocate the money in a smart way that is going to um maximize your fun and and maximize your uh expected value hopefully
1: Right. I mean, I think realistic expectations are what you kind of have to stick with for, from the outset when it yeah. comes to when it comes to DFS. I totally agree with all of that. Let me ask you about your process. So, yeah. you know, the, the NFL pricing comes out obviously super early in the week. Do you have a sort of a standard process you go through every single week just to call down your player pool and things of that nature?
0: Yeah, I, I think with um, doing doing content uh, while also being um, a, a relatively high volume player, the, the lines get pretty blurred because I am looking at uh, so much more than, than the average DFS player. Um, but from from a DFS perspective, I think the most important thing that I'm looking at are the, the two biggest numbers are going to be the the player projections and the ownership projections. Um, the ownership projections is really how I'm going to narrow down my player pool. And again, d- depending on the types of games that I'm playing, if I'm being a cash game player, if I'm playing on, on one site, I'm trying to narrow down my player pool to nine players i am trying to figure out a single value lineup that that fits for cash games whereas um in tournaments it's going to depend on again it's what kind of player you are if you're playing games like i'm playing my player pool might only be 15 to 20 players because i might only be playing one to five lineups that week whereas a a um, mass multi-entry player their player pool might be 80 players so the the data that i'm looking at is I think the data that a lot of people are looking at i'm, I'm looking at uh, volume numbers for for the running backs and the receiver types i'm looking at vegas numbers for um, the, the the big uh, picture um, Over-unders obviously uh, implied point totals for my quarterbacks and that's going to have a trickle down uh, uh, impact on who i'm using but Even if I'm a a mass multi-entry player, I'm I'm probably only using four or five offenses in a given week. So that could give you a a pretty good idea of how small your player pool could get, even if you are playing 150 lineups.
1: Yeah. And I think I think your approach mirrors Mike McClure's as well, because, you know, we go over what we do. We have a Tuesday and a Thursday show. And on Tuesday, we just go we go over basically the front half of the show, the lineups that we had. And and Mike's always got basically five lineups that he submits. I usually have a few more frankly Mm -hmm. but you know i i do believe and i do a lot of dfs golf as well i do believe in a narrow sort of player pool Mm -hmm. because i you know i I think some people get into the issue they they want they don't want to miss out you know they they don't want to miss out on this player and this player and all of a sudden their player pool might be a third bigger than it should be or maybe twice as much as it should be and i think that's advice that people need to internalize if you're right about your approach you're gonna hit big and that's obviously what the what the goal is here but TJ, you mentioned some of, the, some of the stuff that people look at. So we have like implied totals, for example. Mm-hmm. Totals, you know, those come out in the beginning of the week. Everybody can kind of see, okay, this has a 53-point total, this one's a 55, and everything else is, you know, 47 or, you know, 48 and a half, whatever it is. And then you're looking at volume, of course. You want to know, you know how many touches you're, you're running back or wide receiver or tight end or getting in, in that kind of thing. But going that next level, I'm I'm curious. Let me ask you a general question before I ask you which stats you actually really – truly focus on sure. the general question is, have we come to a point and i'm asking somebody who's dire- director of football for four for four, so maybe this isn't a question for you because you know but but you'll you'll see where I'm going with this. Are we immersing ourselves in too much data and galaxy braining ourselves out of some maybe obvious plays or obvious pivots because we're just lo- we're just going way too deep on our approach
0: um I think if we're talking about data from a, a research point of view, if, if you are someone that uh, is trying to do your own research and trying to figure out what stats you should be looking at, I, I think there is a lot of double counting going on. Mm-hmm. Um, 90, 95, 99% of the time, if whether it's four for four or somewhere else, if you have a, a good projection system, a fantasy point projection system, most of the time that's going to be your best data point for projecting what's going to happen. Um, Those fan, those fantasy projections are going to encompass whether it's the implied point total, whether it's a a touchdown rate, whether it's a volume for running back, those projections are for the most part should and do encompass all of those numbers. Mm -hmm. Now, how you're fitting that in with the second most important number in DFS ownership percentage. I I think that's where people um, kind of muddy it up a little bit because when you like the classic example is when you have two guys that do have very close fantasy point projections on offenses with very uh, similar point projections. When we could find the discre- discrepancies in ownership, I, I think that's where we can find these really uh, big edges that still do exist in NFL. They're they're harder to spot because there is so much variance, and and uh, even on on the good decision weeks, you could have some pretty bad results. Uh, but I I think where people miss the mark is just using that data properly and again like the the double counting of things like whether it be a red zone stat a touch whatever it might be um and then with things like like implied point totals i i don't think people are necessarily i I think implied point totals are really good one to, to talk about i just think people use them uh in a very linear sense where i think you should be kind of using them in tiers like if you have three teams projected for 27 to 28 points and, and one of those teams is going to be the most popular one just because that team is projected for one less implied point um, th- that doesn't mean their their team should elicit 60% less cumulative ownership so I mm-hmm. think that's where the opportunities really lie.
1: Right. And, and I always you know I always look at target share as well or I, mm-hmm. in terms of like how narrow are the targets for example in, yeah. in like the vikings offense you got jefferson you got Thielen, maybe you can include dalvin cook in there cashing passes but there are some offenses where it's really spread out really thin so mm-hmm. so that obviously the targets are going to be more concentrated on one team yeah. even if it has a potentially a lower point total than, than another team
0: yeah no, and, and those are those are the types of um numbers that i think are fun to look at that that do just go beyond uh simple volume numbers, touch share and target share numbers are are really good ones to use to exploit your opponent because it's going to give us an opportunity to uh target some players that the the public might be low on. I, I think maybe a classic example is somebody like um like a Marquise Brown. Um in a in a low passing volume offense where Lamar runs so much, when Marquise he has a 27, 28% target share all year but that's only equating to say six or seven targets per game if they're in a situation where all of a sudden um, maybe they're big underdogs for some reason and Lamar's going to have to throw it 45 times those are the spots where numbers like target share i think and when you are digging into mm-hmm. deeper data those are the ones that i, I do think you can exploit um, touchdown rate numbers are another one people uh really don't understand how much that could regress even within just a, a single season and and people will look at the the high touchdown rate guys will often be the ones that the, the public's targeting because they're scoring a lot right but these um, if you have a I don't know a Travis Kelsey in a, in a Chiefs offense and his target his his touchdown rate is low for whatever reason that number is going to bounce back pretty quick if it's a, if it's a, a Monroe St Brown with Jared Goff throwing him the ball uh, maybe it's going to stay low all year.
1: Right. No, that totally makes sense. And we are going to take a quick break, but I do want to ask you on the other end of it, TJ, about those who actually hand build and that aren't using optimizers. Maybe some of the stats that stick out to you uh, that that maybe they should be paying attention to for those hand builders. Uh, But we'll be back right after this break.
0: it's the nfl offseason, season but i'll pick six part of the cbs sports podcast network the football season never stops
1: and we are back i am with tj hernandez tj i did want to ask you about you know the hand builders i i do yeah. a lot of hand building as Me well too. and i'm curious what are it, it, again for maybe the slightly newer fantasy player or even somebody who has a decent amount of experience if you were mm-hmm. to narrow down some of the stats that are really compelling to you that you always want to either check first or check last, maybe certainly a box to check week to week. And and, and I'll just throw some out there just because I know you're not necessarily looking at anything in front of you. Snap share, route share, red zone snap share, red zone targets, matchups, you know, wide receiver, cornerback or defensive line, offensive line, things of of that nature. The first part is which of those stats or other stats are you really focused on? Mm -hmm. The second question is, Where are you going to find that data? What tools are you using?
0: Yeah, I I think the, I think a couple ones that I'm, I'm, if we're just talking about non-ownership, non DFS stats, just like actual football stats that I'm looking at. Um, Mm -hmm. one, one of the biggest ones, and we already talked about this, just simple implied point totals. People over, whoever's sitting atop that weekly implied point total every week, or or the top two teams, they're just going to get so much more hype than a team that's that's projected for whatever it is, 47 and a half, uh, for a game that's projected for 47 and a half points instead of a, a game that's projected for 50 points. Like that second tier of offenses for the week in terms of that implied point total or over under, they're always gonna be really exciting um, teams or, or games to target for me. And then I, I think just things like uh, regression in scoring rates looking for players or or um or quarterbacks that have are on good offenses or or running backs or wide receivers that are getting significant volume but just haven't turned those volume into touches i'm always really highlighting those players in my player pool just because we do know that those numbers generally regress to a uh to a mean whether it's a a team mean a player mean or the league mean and especially if that's a player even if it's just a decent offense not a bad offense those guys are going to bounce back. If, if somebody has 50, 60 targets on the year and they haven't scored yet, the public's going to be down on those guys. But I'm always looking, like those touchdown regression numbers are some of my favorite numbers to look at week to week.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I do want to also ask you about ownership because you talked about ownership mm-hmm. quite a bit and it's obviously really important in DFS in general. Yeah. But in, in football or in the NFL, how much are you, it, it, are there situations where, let, let's say it's, maybe not the smaller contest, maybe, in other words, not the 100-entry contest, but maybe sure. the contests that are a little bit bigger. Yeah, Are you just fading all of the chalk there? Well, like, well, Obviously, that's a big macro question. It's it's situational week to week, but is it is that really truly the main priority, or are there some plays that are chalky that you just can't get away from? I,
0: I think where people uh, maybe get tripped up on ownership a little bit um, is just thinking either – way too contrarian or just not um, not having the ability uh, the the fortitude to get away from these plays that feel really good but that's mm-hmm. why they end up being the most popular plays especially if you do come from uh, somebody that plays redraft like it's always play your best plays right You're, you don't want to play a guy that's projecting for for low numbers um, I think where people what people don't realize it even in these biggest contest if we look at something like the DraftKings millionaire going back uh, as far as the millionaire has existed i mean salaries have changed a little bit whatnot but over the past two or three years even we see these winning lineups fit into a pretty tight range of cumulative ownership that's a number that we should really be paying attention to and that range has been about like 90 to 120 percent cumulative ownership so if you look at if if you look at whether it's four for four or somewhat or somewhere else, the projected ownership of each player on your team. If you add those numbers up, if you're within that range, you're probably on the right track. If you're lower than that, if you're, if you have all nine of your players are projected for sub ten percent ownership, that's not going to fly. If all nine of your guys are projected for over 20% ownership, that's not going to fly e- either. But we, we see um, often, Just two or three guys that are sub 10% can win a, a tournament that's as big as the millionaire. And then kind of taking that a step further, if you are looking at that cumulative ownership, not just adding it up, but how are you getting there? The difference between one player that's 40% and one player that's 5% is going to be way different than two guys that are projected for for 25% ownership. Like, give me the guy that's going to be in 40% of lineups with the 5% guy instead of two guys that are going to be in, in 20% of lineups. Um, and if I am going to eat the chalk on those players, what position am I doing it at? That's another problem I, th- I think people really mess up. Like, uh, Alexander Madison, it seems like every year is the classic example. When, mm-hmm. if and when Dalvin gets hurt, I'm taking Alexander Madison at forty percent all day. Whereas, if for some reason a, um, a a Justin Jefferson gets hurt, if everybody's playing Adam Thielen, like I'm just not playing a, a guy that's going to get eight targets and he's going to be forty percent. That's just a a way different beast. So I I think understanding when to eat that shock uh, and and when not to is is a big um, thing to understand. And often it it is as easy as just what position is it at.
1: Right, and I I definitely think. That the the positional argument is really solid because and I think Frank brought this up he did a, a show with uh, Derek last a uh, couple of weeks back and I think unique r- roster construction is important yeah. I, I know that you know there was last year there was just a lot of heavy hitters that people were jamming yeah. into their lineup and because of that because the people were you know gravitating to the Cooper Cups of the world there were instances yeah. for example where Jonathan Taylor was really just Super low owned and, and and Frank brought up a, a situation where I, that, well, that was the game where JT scored like five touchdowns and it's yeah. one of those things where he had some ownership, but the ownership was sort of gravitating away from him because of his price and because of what guys like Cooper Cup and some of those high end talents, some of the high end talent was doing. And I think kind of knowing that and be able to pip, be able to pivot on and be uncomfortable with the high price running back at times is going to be the play over, you know, some of the high price receivers that everybody is playing.
0: Yeah, one of the things that I do every week during the season is is review uh, the lineups from the the winning lineups from the biggest tournaments, the Sunday Million and and the Millionaire, and, and these lessons are going to uh, pretty much you're you're going to be able to use them whatever tournament you're playing. And one thing that I, I noticed specifically last year on on DraftKings a lot because of how tight DraftKings pricing has got is that we've seen lower ownership ceilings than we've ever seen before, like the In previous years, every week, you'd have a couple of guys that are 30, 40, even 50%. Uh, Last season, and I think this is going to carry on, assuming DraftKings keeps their, their salary algorithm, we rarely saw players get over 30%. So the... The advantage of, saying pivoting to a, a Daryl Henderson from a Cooper Cup when Cup's only 25% isn't as great as when you're pivoting to a Daryl Henderson at 5% when Cooper Cup's 40%. So to your point, I, I something that I really started harping on last season was using ownership and using these leverage opportunities not just off of uh, a teammate off of a popular player, but looking for as much leverage as possible in one shot. And what I mean by that is sticking with the let's say daryl henderson cooper cup um if you can not just pivot off of a popular player but also that player that you're pivoting to say is a maybe he's a price pivot off of a player on another team in a very similar range or if he's going to get you to a salary range that nobody's using in that position you're kind of flipping everything on its head right if nobody's paying down at running back and you could pivot off an expensive receiver all of a sudden not only are you not playing that expensive receiver but you're also going down to a a cheap running back in a week where nobody's using cheap running back and the examples can be infinite, but just kind of thinking in those terms where you could kind of, uh, you know, uh, kill two birds with one stone, stone so to speak, I, I think are opportunities we should really be looking for.
1: Uh totally makes sense. Le- okay, so let me narrow it down for the listener. If you could tell the listener or, like, just say the average DFS player, yeah. and I don't mean average in, in, like, they're just average. I just mean, like, just the everyday DFS player that's showing NFL DFS to follow, and this is kind of a, you know, I didn't prep you with this question, so you might not have a, a a set answer to it. But to follow two or three rules week to week to ensure they have at least a better chance of success, and I say that in the context of that article that you write, you know, after each week goes, and you mm-hmm. you just kind of like analyze what what it sounds like you analyze what people did right and what people yeah. did wrong. But what are you finding that people are doing wrong in and and if you if you tell us that I assume that there's the flip side is, is what they should be doing. Right. If you know what
0: yeah, I mean? Yeah. I, you know, to in, in NFL, like there, there isn't a, a magic formula, right? If you're, if you're um, paying attention to whatever subscription site or whatever content creators, um, a, a lot of these leverage scenarios, uh, are, are well understood and, and you're going to be able to get that, that information anywhere. So I, I, I think from a lineup building perspective, um, Understanding and maximizing those leverage opportunities, like I mentioned, is very important. I would say if you're trying to be the best DFS player possible from a week-to-week basis, I would say that the most important things you could do are kind of outside the actual lineup building. I think the most important things you could do are are zero in on a game that you really like and get mm-hmm. very very good at that game uh, maybe even a niche game whether it be showdown short slates you know a lot of people only play the main slate these smaller four game slates afternoon slate get really really good at that after mm-hmm. that game select what what tournaments have the best structures what games have the best structures if you're playing double ups instead of 50 50s you might be leaving money on the table because it's paying it's paying out a smaller percentage of the field um review review reviewed i i if you are playing in, in contests and you're trying to get better nobody is is reviewing like the every single contest you play on DraftKings. you could export the csv and see every single lineup if you want to look at my lineup awesome lineups mike's lineup your lineup you can see all of our lineups at once calculate our exposures match it up see are, are you doing the same thing and in the millionaire there's hundreds of thousands of of entries every week I would be surprised if 100 of those guys are exporting those lineups every week and doing that so i would say get really good at one game game select review and then the last thing that no one is doing is late swap like nobody's using Mm -hmm. late swap in nfl i i I, that's the the single biggest edge in nfl is probably late swap
1: yeah and we did a lot of that a fantasy football today dfs we we really there were situations where we should have late swapped or, or should have approached it differently and we just we just analyzed, you know, h- how we did the late swap yeah. because there's so many situations where you're going into the four o'clock slate and you're pretty much dead. And mm-hmm. people just don't, they just don't want to pay attention to that. They, they feel like yeah. if the one o'clock games are going really poorly, then then I guess I'm done. But it is actually pretty easy to sneak in there. there was, another thing was, you know, making a carbon copy of the same lineup, something that Mike McClure does in, in some of the contests. So two of the same lineup in the same contest and then you can always tweak one of those two depending on yeah, how, like, how it's yeah. all unfolding. So, and I, I, I want to say this too, TJ, the, the niche games advice that the afternoon slate. I can tell you just from my own experience. While I think I'm pretty good at the main slate, my best success in the last two years has been that four o'clock, three or four game slate. Yeah, I absolutely love it.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, we could do hours on on both of those those topics alone, the late swap and the uh, the, the smaller slate um contest, but I, I think I think the thing people don't understand about late swap, especially even if you're not playing crazy high volume, if you're playing a couple hundred bucks a week or even a hundred bucks a week, even though even if late swap doesn't get you in the black on the week, like money not lost is money won, right? So if, if you could salvage your week from losing, you know, having a negative 90% ROI to a negative 40% ROI just on one late swap that's money one that at the Mm -hmm. end of the year you're that's going to be that much more money um in your bottom line and and then i think even if you don't want to um play a bunch of other slates if you just think about it as a perspective of it's a um it's an optimal hedge a lot of people will play the main slate say they're playing cash games and and they want to hedge their lineup so they play two lineups instead of one If you're playing multiple slates it's just kind of a natural hedge you might have some overlap but you're getting exposure to players that you might not otherwise on the full slate so you you're still playing your whatever you think your optimal lineup is without uh doing it just for the sake of hedging and smaller fields um easier to win a lot of times just there's sometimes you just find worse players in there because uh um because the 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 big dogs are focusing on these big tournaments
1: yeah absolutely and I'll ask you a couple more questions before no. I let you go TJ and for the record we're gonna have yeah as you've seen we've uh, every couple of weeks we have one of these offseason season uh, podcast series with somebody like TJ Hernandez so stay tuned we'll have another one in, in a couple weeks here let me ask you kind of a fun question or maybe it's not fun we'll see And maybe you don't have any memory of this I can tell you I wanted to ask you about a bad beat or a mm-hmm. lucky break story um, my latest uh, I shouldn't say latest the luckiest break It wasn't even a break. But the the thing that really sticks out to me that really like won me like an extra several thousand dollars was the game where Kyler Murray threw a Hail Mary to DeAndre Hopkins with four Bills covering. Oh, and the Bills are your team, right, TJ? (laughs) Yeah,
0: they're my uh, they're my adopted team or I'm adopted by them, I guess so a
1: great fan base to be adopted by and i I think the bills are winning the super bowl this year but with with all that said that play like you know i was like probably 10th in a contest i vaulted up to second in a pretty big single entry contest i'm just curious i always like the bad beat or the or the just lucky break hell mary stories Anything like that happened to you in the last like year or two where you're like, man, that, I wish that didn't happen or I wish it did happen?
0: I, I always tell myself I'm going to remember the good luck so I, I, I don't uh, harp on the bad beats so much. And then, of course, they never stick. Um, I mean, I, I, I haven't had any crazy, brutal beats in the last couple years. Maybe it's just because I've been doing this so long that I'm, mm-hmm. I'm numb to it at this point. Yeah. Uh, the the one that's kind of seared into my memory is the... Um, Calvin Johnson was playing against the Seahawks and he literally fumbled out of the end zone, like going into the end zone. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, uh, That, that fumble uh, cost me a, cost me a a, a live uh, qualifier seat. So that one's always going to hurt for uh, that one will never go away. Yeah.
1: I'll tell you, because we've been kind of referencing poker terms, particularly with bad beat. And and I know you're, you're obviously a poker guy. I won't get into the story, but I, I played in the world series of poker in 2018. And I, I don't even know if I'd call it a bad beat, but it was full boat over full boat, and if I win this hand on day two, I'm probably in the top four or five percent of the field. It was such a breathtaking beat for another for another day, TJ, but yeah. that's when it comes to bad beats for some reason. I, I got to relay that to you since you're a poker player. No, I get,
0: I get it, and our, our poker background probably helps us with the uh, the numb feeling we get when we get bad beat and DFS.
1: Yeah, speak for yourself, because it's just it's it's brand new and fresh every uh, single time for yeah. me. Uh, l- l- let me ask you a, a couple more questions. I, so here's the thing. We got the NFL draft. It's coming up in a couple yeah. days. And then we've got just kind of this this offseason part where it's just nothing's really going to happen. Training camps are eventually going to open after rookie's report and, and all of that stuff. But when the season starts. I'm just curious, you know, in the first few weeks where we were, really don't have any data, at least fresh data, do you have a particular, like, different approach to the first few games of the season, since we don't really have much of a sample size outside of the year before? Is there something maybe different in, in terms of your approach there?
0: Um, I, I think that we're, we're kind of all going into early season blind. I there There are a lot of really exciting opportunities in dfs i think early in the season like especially the first couple of weeks um rookies and players on new teams i think are just always going to be wildly undervalued early in in the nfl season and and you're often going to see that um in things like ownership percentage i i think week one week two uh, maybe even week three i i think you could almost outside of you know teams that are going to have high implied point totals um but you can almost blindly fade a lot of ownership early in the season just because people are uh making decisions based on last year's data so often early in the year that there's a lot of opportunity there uh so i am really looking at that and then one thing that i have noticed is i mean just like us vegas takes a a couple of weeks to get mm-hmm. their their stuff dialed in so i would say maybe the first two maybe three weeks is when i will kind of go off the rails in terms of offenses I'm targeting uh, for my um, for the teams that I'm just building around. Usually it's obviously we know the teams with the highest implied point total. I like to go into that second tier pretty much all season, but early in the year I'll I'll dip down to that third tier, even like teams that are projected for like the, the 23, 24 points that that nobody's playing. There could be a a lot of fruit um, on, on those limbs early in the season.
1: Yeah. I find people, think of trends sometimes when they're when they're not actually trends like the, the first couple of weeks a team really flashes on defense yeah. for example and you're like oh man they've just got a really good run defense meanwhile yeah. they played two terrible teams and yeah. people aren't going to pay up for for the hot running back in week three because of what they did in two weeks and the reality is it's the perfect spot to play that running back I think your sample size and we we talk about this on the FFT DFS show in terms of sample sizes that are actually true to being trends and and ones that just aren't Really, inadequate sample size yet, and I think the early in the season you can really take advantage of that.
0: Yeah, people. I think people really, really butcher matchup data early in the year. Um, it, it takes uh, it takes a while to get that going, and and I, I just think any data um, that that's that small of a sample in general, um, I, I think people really overweight. Even even data that we think is very reliable, like volume, like you're going to get your random guys that are are getting. 10 targets per game in the first two weeks for whatever reason and and uh you know taking the taking the chance and fading guys like that can be fun too
1: speaking of data before we get out of here tj tell us a what what you're doing now for four Mm -hmm. for four and maybe as football season approaches can you tell listeners what, what they can expect from you
0: yeah, uh, like, like I mentioned, we've kind of got uh, pretty heavy into the the Formula One game. We've actually partnered up with uh, Run the Sims, and we've been putting out um, a, a ton of really good content projections there. The um, our, our Run the Sims partner, Justin Freeman, actually shot first place in the main GPP in the F1 contest uh, yesterday. So uh, we've really been going hard on that. And then football-wise, um, even if you are a, a DFS player kind of the the nice bridge in the offseason between uh super bowl and and preseason is best ball so we've been really firing up um our our best ball offerings this year specifically uh underdog we have a bunch of really great tools that sam hoppin over at 444 has put together and we have uh some series that are coming out that Explain how to be really good at these underdog, these big best ball tournaments, kind of everything that you and I have been talking about translated to uh to best ball. So I, I would definitely check uh check that out because I mean best ball is if, if you wanna listen, if you wanna tie up your money for 10 months, there's no better <laughs> way than best ball.
1: I think that's my problem with best ball yeah. more, more than anything else. Yeah, but sure. I guess if you're tying your money up for a long period of time, you may as well do it in the NFL. Yeah. So that absolutely. would be That would be the counter to that. Uh, TJ, uh, thank you for coming on. Uh, We're going to wrap it up there. For TJ, I am Sia Najad. This is Fantasy Football Today, DFS. And we'll see you in a couple weeks.
0: New CBS Monday. NCIS. Here's where we can see them. NCIS and NCIS Hawaii return with all new cases. Double tap to the chest, one to the head. These guys are professionals. All new criminals. Violent island got here. Lock in the paradise. And all new crimes to be solved. If you're watching this, I've been arrested. What are the charges? Just one, murder. New NCIS and NCIS Hawaii Monday, starting at 9 8 Central on CBS and streaming on Paramount Plus.